If God is able, we are able. Welcome to the podcast from One Cause Church. Where I know the thoughts that I think towards you. Anybody know this verse? It says the Lord, thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. What a marvelous verse of scripture. And I, uh, many people use this scripture to lean on. I've used it to lean on in many times, times of trouble, you know, times of loss, maybe even a time of uh, where you've fallen into sin and you're coming back to God and you, and you have these words of hope that God is there. He has good thoughts towards you, not of evil, and that he wants to give you a future and a hope. And that, there's a reason why you can see why people lean on this verse of scripture because it's just so chock full of hope. It's wonderful. And you see the good nature and the good character of our God and how he feels about us and how he views us. It's important that we know that because many times our own feelings and failures will, will make us feel otherwise different or, or, or think thoughts about God that aren't true. Think that he thinks evil of us or that he's angry with us. And this is under the old covenant. And this is the prophet Jeremiah speaking. And like I said, a lot of people use this verse. But I'm kind of curious as to how many people really know the origin of this verse. Why God said what he said here, and to whom he said it. And so this is what we're going to look at. Verse 10 is where we see what he's really talking about. For thus says the Lord, this is prior verse, after 70 years are completed in Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word towards you and cause you to return to this place. So Jeremiah, under utterance of the Spirit of God, is prophesying that, that Israel is about to go into captivity. They're about to be plundered by Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar, and go into captivity in Babylon for 70 years. God is telling them, and, and why are they doing that? Why is that happening? Because Israel has this history, right, of, of coming out of captivity and going right back into it. Coming out, going right back into it. We've seen the pattern all through uh, this series at this point. So yet again, they did it, and God uh, delivered them into captivity of the Babylonians. They plundered uh, Jerusalem, burned it up, took all the, the gold and all the good stuff out of the temple of Solomon and, and um, dismantled it and left the city in ruins, took the people into captivity. And this is what Daniel's talking about. But here's the good news about God. I'm going to make it right for you. Your sin has a consequence to it, but that's not the end of your life. And then he says, for I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord. Thoughts of good, not of evil. To give you a future and a hope. Not just a future. I mean, we all have a future. But a, hope, a future with a hope, that's a whole lot better. There are a lot of people going to the future that have no hope. But praise God, as his children. Now think about this. This is under an old covenant here. And we really see the heart of God. What his heart toward man really is about. And we understand it a lot better today than they did then through the person of the Lord Jesus. But what a marvelous thought. So we're going to go to the attraction part of this message at this point. Go to uh, Ezra now, chapter 1. And so Ezra was written during the time of the children of Israel coming out of Babylon and back to Jerusalem, as was prophesied by Jeremiah. Ezra chapter 1, verse 1. Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled... The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation. And we just read what Jeremiah had prophesied, and now it's being fulfilled here. Throughout all his kingdom, and also put it in writing, saying, Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, All the kingdoms of the earth the Lord God uh, of heaven has given me, 
And he has commanded me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Let me just say, Cyrus is not a man of God. He's not a Jew. He's not the object of God's affection here. This is a pagan king who is speaking of what God has done to him. He has turned his heart toward the Jews, all right? He naturally wouldn't do that. Actually, Cyrus was a pretty vicious king. But God turned his heart. There's a book, there's a verse in, in the book of Psalms that says that God holds the heart of the king in his hand. Watch this. Verse, uh, who is among you of all his people, may his God be with him and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord God of Israel. He is God, which is in Jerusalem. And whoever is left in any place where he dwells, let the men of his place help him with silver and gold, with goods and livestock, besides the free will offerings for the house of God, which is where? In Jerusalem. All right, verse 5. Then the heads of the fathers' houses of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and the Levites, with all whose spirits God had moved, arose to go up and build the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem. Verse 6. And all those who were around them encouraged them with articles of silver and gold, with goods and livestock. Isn't this kind of, this kind of uh, I'm having a deja vu here. This is a very familiar story, isn't it? Reminds us a little bit of what happened in Exodus. When the children of Israel got ready to leave and the Egyptians handed over their gold and their silver and their precious jewels right over to them as they left Egypt. And yet here we see it again. They're coming out of the captivity of Babylon and the people that are all around them are giving them these things. Uh, and uh, Let's go to verse 7. King Cyrus also brought out the articles of the house of the Lord, which Nebuchadnezzar had taken from Jerusalem and put in the temple of his God. See, Nebuchadnezzar had plundered the temple of Solomon, taken all that gold and all that good stuff out and brought it to the temple of his uh, dead gods. And Cyrus, king of Persia, brought them out by the hand of Mithridath, the treasurer, and counted them out to Sheshbazar, the prince of Judah. And the story goes on to tell that, that they made their way into Jerusalem and, and those Jews, they made a great exodus out of Babylon. They brought all these articles of, of silver and gold and, and, and even fine linens and things like that so that they could reestablish the temple of God, the worship, the sacrifices and the burnt offerings to the Lord. And so they began doing that. They had this decree in their hand from King Cyrus that they were allowed to do this so that no one could stop the work. Well, they get there and they, and they construct the altar and then they begin the sacrifices and they begin to reestablish the priesthood as it was according to the law of Moses. And they, and they made sure that they counted all the people that had come back so that they could be uh, reestablished as a nation again. So uh, uh, Cyrus, but this all happened because God moved on this king's heart to do it. See, God moved on Pharaoh's heart. Remember what happened, what happened with Pharaoh whenever the Lord began to speak to him? The scripture says that his heart was hardened. One place says that Pharaoh hardened his heart. Another place says God hardened his heart. And both things are true. It's just the way the man's heart is in response to God. That's all it means. I mean, if, like I've told you this before, if you take some clay and you take some wax and you put them out in the sun, one is going to get hard, one is going to soften. So when God shined upon, if you will, Pharaoh, his heart got heart. I mean, his, <laughs> his heart got heart. But Cyrus, this is a little different deal. He turned the heart and he just began to be benevolent to the children of Israel, not because he was naturally benevolent. Just go read the history of Cyrus sometime, all right? You know that God was in on this thing. 
So he, he, he gets them to reestablish the system. But I want to I take just a moment and look now at the book of Isaiah. Are you guys still with me? Stay with me. I know when the Cowboys play, but does it really matter? Okay. See, one of the reasons that we can know that the Bible is absolutely from God is because it contains all of these hundreds and thousands of prophecies concerning people and, and lands and nations, and uh, especially the, prof- the prophecies concerning the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. And, <clears throat> but this one prophecy that we're going to look at in Isaiah is, is about this man named Cyrus uh, and, the, and two nations, Babylon as well as uh, the Persian Empire. Uh, he vividly describes, Prophet Isaiah vividly describes how God would destroy this powerful kingdom of Babylon known as the glory of kingdoms. And you can read out all throughout Isaiah, he declared that Babylon would fall in, in, in uh, Isaiah chapter 21. Then he prophesied that Babylon would fall to the Medes and the Persians, specifically in Isaiah chapter uh, 13 and I think in, verse, in chapter 21 as well. So, and later he proclaimed that the golden city would be conquered by a man by the name of Cyrus. And we're going to pick up in Isaiah 44 verse 26 and read this, this prophecy, who confirms the word of his servant and performs the counsel of his messengers who says to Jerusalem, you shall be inhabited to the cities of Judah. You shall be built and I will raise up her uh, waste places. Uh, Who says to the deep, be dry and I will dry up your your rivers. Verse 28, who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd and he shall perform all my pleasure saying to Jerusalem, you shall be built and to the temple your foundation shall be laid. This is exactly what Cyrus said. Now watch this. Thus said the Lord to uh, his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have held to subdue nations before him and loose the armor of kings to open before him the double doors so that the gates will not be shut. Verse 2, I will go before you and make the crooked places straight. I will break in pieces the gates of the bronze and cut the bars of iron. Verse 3, I will give you the treasures of darkness and the hidden riches of secret places that you may know that I, the Lord, who call you by your name and the God of Israel. God is telling Cyrus, I called you by your name. And, and he's saying, Isaiah's prophesying these things as if they are happening at that moment or have already happened. But what we all need to understand here today is that God called Cyrus by name 150 years before he ever showed up. This is not during the reign of Cyrus. Long before God put it in this prophet's mouth to call out Cyrus by name. And 150 years later, he would come along and say the very thing that the prophet said he would say, go back to Jerusalem and rebuild. Now, if God would do that for a king who's not in covenant with him, for a pagan king, how much is he interested in your life? How much is he interested in in your life and in your situation and in your purpose? Now, however you got here, you might not have been intended by your parents in your entrance to the world. (laughs) But that didn't take God by surprise. The moment you were conceived, the moment you were conceived, he began for that nine months to knit together a design and a plan for you in this world. 
however you got here. So just know that and tap into and receive God's plan into your life. And just as much as he is interested in you, be interested in what he has for you. Because it's by design. It's by design that you're here at this time in your life. There are people that need to hear from you. There are people's lives who will be touched by you who otherwise would not have been touched any other time. But because you're here, God is using you in a miraculous and a glorious way in the earth. So that's why you can expect to be used by God in marvelous ways. I mean, this is, it's just a remarkable prophecy. And I want to encourage you today that God will absolutely without fail perform his word. All right? He will do it. He's faithful to his promises. He, he watches over his word to perform it. All he needs somebody to do is to believe it. That's all he needs somebody who will believe him, believe his word, believe what he says about your life, believe that he is interested in everything about you and that he loves you with an everlasting love, believe that his thoughts towards you are good and that he has a marvelous plan for your life. I don't know what your situation is right now. It might not be a good situation, but don't accept that as your lot in life. Only accept what God has planned for you. All right, say, I'm taking what God has for me. I'm receiving his plan and his purpose, and I choose to live out my days for him. Amen. Because he declares the end from the beginning, and he knows you by name. So Israel returns with a decree from Cyrus to rebuild the temple, which had been destroyed. They reestablish the priesthood. They, they build the altar and begin sacrifices. Then they lay the foundation for the temple. And it's at that day that they, that they consecrate it and they dedicate it to God. And that old familiar song came back again. You can read in chapter 3 where they gave thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Hundreds of years later, they're still singing that song. That song, that means that that song has an everlasting truth to it. And that truth is for all generations, that the Lord is good and his mercies endure forever. Aren't you grateful that that's still true today? Amen. So, They get the foundation laid. The work gets halted for a period of time by some bad guys, and I encourage you to read about that. And then uh, by King Darius and and King Artaxerxes, who who actually uh, followed uh, uh, Cyrus, uh, Artaxerxes uh, followed after him, and they both affirmed that the building of the temple and city must continue. So they complete the temple. They celebrate the Passover in chapter 6. And then you get over to chapter 7, and all of a sudden Ezra shows up. And it's the first thing we know about this guy, and it's almost to the end of this entire book, and then Ezra shows up. And then we're going to look at verse 9, and here we're going to look at the person of Jesus. Ezra represents him in a couple of different ways as an intercessor later on uh, in in chapters 9 and 10, but we're not going to look at that part. We're going to look at this, this piece right here. On the first day of the first month, he, that is Ezra, began his journey from Babylon, and on the first day of the fifth month, he came to Jerusalem according to the good hand of his God upon him. Verse 10 For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach statutes and ordinances in Israel. Wow, what a great guy. I mean, he he, even though he's in the captivity of Babylon, he has not forsaken God. Ezra has kept his heart on the law of God to, to, to know it and to live by its truth, even though Judaism was basically all the pieces at that time. Yet, as much as he could as a man 
uh, to seek after God. He did. And not only did he want to know it and to live it, but he also wanted to teach these things to other people. And this is where I want us to look at the person of Jesus as the faithful scribe. One who believed in, who carried out the, uh, the truth and the, uh, the, the inerrant truth of the scriptures. Jesus lived by the script. Well, he is the scriptures. He lived by the scriptures, though. He read the scriptures. He was faithful to these things. I want us to look over to Luke chapter 4 for just a moment. All right? Luke chapter 4. Y'all stay with me. So he, Jesus, came to Nazareth where he'd been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue. Isn't that cool that Jesus had a custom, a regular habit of being in church? I mean, if anybody is spiritual enough to not go to church, right? You'd think Jesus would say, I don't need church. I am the church, right? As a lot of people say today. And they're partly true. How can you say I am the church but not need the church? That's the stupidest thing I ever heard. All right. Anyway, so he came to where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, or as his habit was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to what? To read. All right, so Jesus had a regular habit as a scribe, as a rabbi, to come into the house of God and to read. Now, these scribes that came into the, to the synagogue to read, they didn't just go pick out a verse of Scripture, fortunately, like we get to these days. Amen, I do appreciate that that we got the freedom to do all this extemporaneous preaching. But they had a law, a, a rule of how things went in the synagogue. There was actually the ruler of the synagogue who would hand the, the reader which book they were in that month, all right? He would hand them that book, and then they would need to go find, in that, open the scroll and find where the last guy left off because he left a little mark there, all right? And it just so happened that Jesus, by chance, and maybe by coincidence, not really, walked into the temple this day, the synagogue this day, watch, uh, verse 17, and he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah, and when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, look, the Spirit of the Lord is upon, what timing is this, huh? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. 19, if you have it, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. 20, then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down, and the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. 21, and he began to say to them, today... This scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Wow, that which had been read how many times in the synagogue, uh, scribes stood up and read that very passage of scripture and it was like any other service. But this happened to be the day when the word would be made flesh and Jesus would say today, that prophecy that was spoken of thousands of years ago, you're living in its fulfillment right now. You're seeing it happen before your very eyes. That was me. That's me it's talking about. And so Jesus is continually confirming the scriptures. He was the faithful scribe dedicated to the scriptures, to the reading of the scriptures, and to the teaching of the scriptures. Even when he was in that very same chapter, just prior to uh, him going to the synagogue, the, the scripture says that the spirit took him out to the wilderness, out to the dry place to be tempted of the devil. And he had fasted there 40 days, and then the enemy shows up, right? The devil shows up. 
and the great showdown happens. And he begins to tempt him with various things. I don't have time to go into all of it, but I just want to talk about Jesus' response to all of those temptations, all right? Uh, I mean, I think about all the things that Jesus could have said to Satan to overcome him. He could have said, I'm the son of God. You're stupid. Get out of here. I'm bigger than you. I'm more powerful than before you ever were. I was. You were created. I was not created. Matter of fact, I created eternity. Now, eternity is a long time, but the scripture calls Jesus in in, in Isaiah. He says, he calls him wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father. And I always thought about why is it calling Jesus everlasting father? He's the son. No, he's the father of everlasting. That is, that literally means he's the originator of eternity. Wow. Right? I mean, he could have said any of those things to the stupid devil. Right? Could have snapped his fingers and the devil would have dispersed into a million pieces. He could have done anything, all of those things. But Jesus knows that the scripture is really all that we need. And so every time the devil tempted him, he said to him, it is written. Wow. And that's really what you need to know today. He taught you and I how to overcome the devil by quoting the word, the living word of God. He was a faithful scribe, faithful to the scriptures, believed in its power, that it is all the power you need to overcome. Amen? So listen to me. I want to encourage you today. When temptation comes, when things come that are contrary to what the word of God says that you can have and and says that you can be, you just get the word of God in your mouth and begin to say what is written. Amen. Because today it is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Listen, if Jesus believes in the book, you can bank on it. All right? Amen. Amen. And now let's go to one last place. Everybody all right? Yeah. Oh, no. Go to Hebrews 10 for a moment before we go to the memento. Hebrews 10, 7. Look at what Jesus said here. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the volume of the book, it is written of me to do your will, O God. Ah, it's a great passage of Scripture. Now, Ezra chapter 8, and this is where we'll pick up our minnow and uh, bring bring this into our life this week. Hallelujah. It says this in in 21. This is Ezra talking. Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river of Ahava, that we might humble ourselves before our God to seek from him the right way for us and our little ones in all our possessions. That we might seek God, seek from him the right way. You know, there is a right way. There, there's a way that seems right to a man, but the end is destruction. But there is a right way, and that way is from God. And the scripture teaches us to acknowledge him in all of our ways, and then he will direct our paths. Is that right? All right, so they took some time to focus on God here. Now, let me tell you what's happened here at this point. They've left now with the blessing of King Artaxerxes, who is the successor of uh, Cyrus, and to go and and rebuild and and, uh, had permission from him to go on to Jerusalem uninhibited. So he brings all the rest of the people with him with all the the good stuff, and they come up to this river, and he says, "Uh, we need to camp here for three days. We're going to fast. We're going to seek God. and get the right way concerning us, our children, and our possessions. All right, this week. I'm going to say that to you this week. Proclaim a fast in your life. All right? Skip a meal. Skip a few meals. Skip entertainment. Do something and use that time to really press in more to God. All right? Um, um, uh, along with how you regularly pray and, and read the Word, and I know you guys do, um, 
I know you guys do. And uh, I know you do. And that you would take some special time, some, uh, give some special attention to the Lord even this week. Now, you pray about what you, what you want to fast, all right? But you know what regular thing that you do. Eating is something that we have to do, right? It's something that we do regularly. So that's, that's, but there are a lot of things that we regularly, especially in the world of our phones and our electronic devices, that would definitely be a good thing to fast. And it's not just about abstaining from something. A lot of people will do that, you know. Well, you know, they, I'm going to fast today. I'm going to fast lunch today. And then this is the rest of that time, right? Like, come on. Come on, supper. You see what I'm doing, Lord? I'm suffering for you. I'm fasting. No, no, take that time and actually seek the Lord, all right? Don't just abstain from food, but actually use that time to seek him. Hey, anybody ever feel like time's really flying? Huh? You ever feel like that the day's getting away from you and you just fast? Everything slows way down. And you skip a meal, I mean, you can feel every second on that clock, right? It's like, God, this is the longest day ever. Especially if you fast all day. It's like the longest day. All right? Then you realize, wow, I'm a, I'm a very distracted person if I feel like the day is really getting away from me. I need to take some time and get out from the noise of life and be still and let him be God to me. All right? Ezra was already dedicated to God, right? He loved the law. He was reading the law. He was, he was into the word. But he takes another step in seeking God, all right? Takes another step, and they abstain. They fast. They camp here for three days, and they seek God. Now, it's important for us to know why, because later on, you can read in that chapter, he said, I was embarrassed. I was ashamed to actually tell uh, King Artaxerxes to ask him to send horses and soldiers to escort us because along that way, there, there was a lot of trouble. And there were crimes, there were ambushes, there were robberies. And so they wanted to be protected from those things. He said, I was ashamed to ask him for those things because I already said the Lord will be with us and he will do us good. So, but just in case, can we have some, just, can we have your army help us? You know, so he didn't want to do that. He, so they get out there and he's like, okay, God, we really need you. All right, we're out here, and you know the dangers that lay ahead of us. We're asking you for your help. Watch over us. Watch over our children. Watch over our stuff, right? And they were there, and the Lord blessed them, and the Lord answered their prayer, and they, went, they got all the way to Jerusalem with no problems. Isn't God good? Just, to, just that, that protection over them. So that's what I want to say. Sometimes you, some of you may be here today, and you need an answer from God, and maybe for some time you've been looking, and you feel like you just haven't been able to get that breakthrough, haven't been able to get that answer. Seek him. All right? Fast. Set aside that time. Seek him. And let's just see what happens. That might be the very key that opens the door. Right. All right? Might be the very key that opens the door. And you go, oh, there. Because, like I said, you're in this noise of life. And God is always speaking, but it's not always easy to hear what he's saying until you Amen. give special attention. And here's the thing. The scripture says, without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and he is a rewarder to those who diligently seek him. There is a reward waiting for you. There is a reward waiting for you this week as you fast and as you pray and seek God. All right? So be blessed in that. Father, I want to say thank you. Thank you for this time and your presence. Thank you for your word. Lord, we set our hearts to you, even this week, in a greater way. Whatever your people choose to fast this week, I thank you for blessing them in that. And Lord, I thank you for 
opening doors for them, helping them to see, Lord, Lord, what happens when we give special, special attention to seek you and to hear from you. Thank you, Lord, for revealing yourself. I thank you for God encounters this week, God, in the name of Jesus. Thank you for bringing the people answers, Lord, that they need, breakthrough, miracles, healing, blessing, whatever it is, God, that they're needing, restoration. I thank you, God, that you are the God of more than enough. You know what we have need of before we even ask, but you said ask and you will receive. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open to you. So, Lord, we, we are in pursuit of you, even this week, God, in a greater way. Thank you, Lord, for revealing yourself to your people. Thank you, Lord, for Jesus, who taught us the power of the word, to believe the word of God, to believe the scriptures, and to get them in our hearts, and to get them in our mouths, Lord, so that we can live in their reality, understanding that the word is the highest authority in this world, that when we attach ourselves to it, when we come into agreement with it, it trumps all other reports. It trumps all other words, Lord, and we get to live in its truth. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, for your blessing on your people, that you strengthen them. You, 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 uh, you show them, Lord, even this week. You show them, Lord, a nature, a part of your character that they've not yet seen. In Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Pastor Jeremiah, come up and dismiss us. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We would like to invite you to one of our service times in either McKinney or Dallas. Sunday mornings in McKinney at 9.30 and 11, and Wednesday evenings at 7, and in Dallas, 10.30 Sunday mornings, and our 1 o'clock One Cause Dallas Espanol service. You can find out more information about our church at onecausechurch.com. If you'd like to partner with our ministry, there is also a link on the front page of our website.